time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart, that's got passion for God, they're leading intercession on their schools, they're set apart, consecrated under God, and they've got a vision and a mission for their life. All right. Well, good. Uh, We're going to jump in tonight, and uh, just to kind of, let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, you're the reason that we are here. Jesus, you're the reason that we have given this year to seek after you and know you. God, we don't want it to just be a one-year thing. We want this to be the rest of our lives where we are people of prayer, people that spend time with you, people that believe in miracles, that have a vibrant relationship with you. God, I ask that in this season that we are here, that you will set foundations that we could go forward for the rest of our lives to follow hard after you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, I just kind of want to talk, just quickly recap what we've talked about the last few weeks. Um, Two weeks ago, or two, I guess three Mondays ago now, uh, began just talking uh, on, we've done three weeks in a row, and so uh, we talked that night about knowing the love that God has for us, and that leading us to live a disciplined life. And that in knowing His love, it leads us to the place where we want to respond in love, and we want to live for Him in love. Last week, talked about that by knowing God's grace, we can live with uh, no condemnation. The importance of knowing the grace that God has for us. So tonight, I want to talk about knowing God as Father and the confidence that comes out of that. Knowing God as Father and the confidence that comes out of that. Um, so, I, you know, I think if I was to ask any of you to share uh, an embarrassing story of your father, you probably would have some. Uh, most earthly dads are quite embarrassing. And, uh, and so I just, you know, my dad uh, was an incredible dad, an incredible father. But he was not without his embarrassing moments. Um, you know, I mean, actually, like, if I look back at my... Uh, my, like, growing up, my childhood, I would say that the majority of the time, my mom was the embarrassing one, you know, like, always screaming at my basketball games, and always cheering for things that was, like, that was not a big deal, why are you freaking out in front of people, you know, like, moms are just, you know, they're kind of like that, but my dad's embarrassing moments, they were fewer and farther between, but they were a bigger deal, like, my mom was, like, consistently embarrassing, my dad was, like, those big moments where I'm like, seriously, Dad? So, like, here's one of them. So, actually, this isn't one. This happened more than once. But uh, I was hanging out. I'm in high school and uh, spending the night over at someone else's house. It's the middle of the night, you know, and we're like, hey, we should, uh, like, we should go toilet paper someone's house. That's, that would be awesome. We should do that. And so, uh, so that's just, you know, teenage wisdom. It's, you know, 1 a.m. What should we do? Sleep? No. We need to go throw trash on other people's house. Uh, and so anyway, so we were there, and, and, and we're at this house, and we're like, but we don't have any toilet paper here. Like, what should we do? And I was like, hey, we've got a ton at my house. So let's go sneak. Most people sneak out of their house. I was like, let's go sneak into my house in the middle of the night to get the toilet paper so that we can then go and, and throw it on other people's houses. And, uh, and so we were like, oh, that's genius. Uh, and so we decided to do that, and so we go to my house, it's, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, one, two o'clock in the morning. It's most likely this happened on a Saturday night. 
because it seems like I always did stuff on Saturday nights, or at least that's when it really like got to my dad because he had to get up in the morning and preach. He was a pastor, and so yeah, me keeping him up in the middle of the night, because somehow my friends and I always would try to like stay up all night, but it was always on a Saturday night, and so like in the middle of the night, my dad would come out and be like, what are you guys doing? You know, because he was like, I got to sleep. And, and so anyway, it was one of those nights, and uh, so we sneak into my house, and I think we're being really quiet and sneaky, but apparently we weren't. And uh, all of a sudden, my dad comes walking out of the hallway. You know, it's a dark hallway. And then all of a sudden, this, this figure appears. And I'm like, hey, Dad. And here's me and like four of my friends standing there, right? And there's my dad standing in the hallway looking at us, wearing only his tidy whities Just standing there. Then, I kid you not, I'm, I, I wish I was joking. He, he begins to talk to us about the decisions that we're making. And he begins to talk to us about being out in the middle of the night. And we have to sit down in our living room. And my dad sits on the fireplace, like in front of the fireplace, like this, in his underwear. Just sits there and talks to us for like two hours in the middle of the night, in his underwear the whole time. He never was like, hey, let me go put on some clothes. He just talked to us, and I was, oh, my good dad, what are you doing? Dad, this is really serious. I wish that was only the one time that that happened. That happened multiple times. Okay, but here's the thing. Here's something I did take from that. I know how to get my kids to do what I want them to do. And I'm going to start, I'm going to use that tactic. I know it was a tactic. He could have put on clothes. That would have been really easy. But he was like, nope, I'm going out there in my underwear. So my kids start doing stuff dumb, they're going to know. I'm going to be like, hey. You don't want me to lecture you and your friends in my underwear, do you? I'll do it. I don't even care. It's an embarrassing moment for me. But as we talk tonight, I want to I begin, and I share that story because Jesus chose to reveal God as Father. And, and like I said, I think many of us, when we think of our earthly dad, we can think of a lot of these like embarrassing type of moments. Why would Jesus choose to reveal God as father, this, this idea that, that's so personal, is so relatable. I mean, many of you laugh, yes, because you can, uh, hopefully don't picture it, but you know, you can imagine, don't imagine it either, but it, it's a relatable moment. Our dad's embarrassing us, our dad's, you know, doing stuff. The, the, the picture of father is so personal to each one, it's so relatable to so many. It's sometimes a little humorous even. And so, but that's the main picture that Jesus uses to reveal God as Father. Now, Jesus, uh, it was actually pretty unique to his ministry on earth that Jesus revealed God as Father. When, when we read and Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, he says, you know, our Father who's in heaven. This is one of the first times, and probably even kind of offensive to the people that were listening because they, they knew of God as Father of a nation, but here Jesus was referring to him as Father in a personal way. And Jesus was showing them and speaking. Time and time again, we hear Jesus praying, Abba, Father, the personal name of a father. You know, God had revealed himself in the Old Testament. He, he revealed himself to Isaiah as, as holy, right? He, he revealed himself to Moses as the I Am. There's 300 names of God in, in, in the Old Testament. Uh, and Jesus uses many of those in his ministry uh, that when we read in his life. But the primary thing that Jesus reveals about God is him as Father. That's, that's, the, that's one, it's the unique piece that Jesus brings. 
And not just God is my father, but God is your father. Not just God is a father of a nation, but God is your personal father that you can call unto him. And he taught them to pray. Our father who's in heaven, our heavenly father, we worship your name. Jesus taught, would teach about God as father. And this was, this was kind of revolutionary. See, we, we see it from our lens. That's no big deal. From our lens, it's like, oh, yeah, of course. Jesus called him father and Jesus is the son and you know, the, the, there's the Holy Spirit in there, and we got the whole nice trinity. These, these, these guys didn't have that paradigm. And here Jesus is revealing God as Father. We see throughout the scripture that we are the children of God. So tonight, I want to talk about the confidence that we have because God is our Father. But before we start talking about confidence, I just want to talk first to make sure that we really get this idea of what it means that God is our Father and we see in John 1, 12. I got a lot, we're gonna, I'm just going to reference a lot of scripture here tonight. Um, so you can just jot it down or trust me, whatever. Uh, John 1, 12. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 2 Corinthians six eighteen, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Galatians three twenty six. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Revelation 21, 7. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. You know, I mean, we talk even a lot about being this, this idea of sonship. And so ladies, I want to apologize to you. You get called sons a lot. I know that you're like, but I'm a girl. Why are we calling me sons? Listen, deal with it for 70 years. Us men are going to have to deal with being called a bride for eternity. Okay. So you guys have like this short little time in life to be called sons. We're going to be called a bride for the rest of eternity. And so you can deal with it for a little while. But we see throughout scripture this whole over and over again. We're called the children of God, sons and daughters. That we get to know God in a personal way. We get to know him as one that is loving and protecting. One that reveals himself and draws close. But even before we go into that, I, I think, if I'm honest, most of us, that the idea, we, we can say God is Father, we can say that, and it's a nice idea. But many of us, when you use the word Father, it, it doesn't conjure up a great memory. It doesn't conjure up this idea of, of, oh man, just these warm fuzzies, and I see, you know, when I hear the word Father, I just think of, of when I relate to, that to God, it just causes me to respond in such love. Because many people have a, uh, a painful view of the word father. I think that one of the primary things that, that we see in, uh, in, in our generation, your generation, is this pain towards authority and this, this rebelliousness towards authority, much of which stems from our view. Maybe it's from an earthly father. Maybe it's from someone who was in authority that... Where, where you felt mistreated or you were mistreated. Everyone has different emotions equated with that word father. So when we say that God is your father, for some people, that's great. And they get it. And it's like, oh, awesome. But for a lot of people, it's like, I don't really equate positive emotions with that word. It's not my, that's not been my personal experience. The vast majority of people have a negative experience. And the enemy uses that to cause us to view God in an incorrect way. 
He uses that to, to, that causes us to view God in the way that we view earthly authority or the way that we view our earthly father. We tend to place our father's faults on God. We, try, we tend to place our own experience. We, we view God through our lens rather than trying to see through his lens. We want to put, put on him our own experience rather than allowing him to reveal himself to us. So because of that, for those that haven't, have had an absent father, one they've never seen or has never been around, there's not a real, there's not much confidence in God drawing close or knowing their needs or hearing their prayers. So when we talk about God as a good God who wants to hear, you know, he hears our prayers and he draws close to his people when we draw close to him, we can say it and we can kind of believe it, but at our core, it's sometimes hard to believe because that's not been the experience that we've had. Maybe, maybe it's a, your view is kind of from a partially absent God or partially absent father. He's physically present, but distant in relationship, emotionally distant. So it's hard for us to believe that God loves us, that God has affection for us, because the authority figures that we've had in our lives haven't shown us that. And we haven't experienced that from them. Therefore, when we hear God is our Father, we don't expect Him to lavish love on us, because we didn't experience that ourselves. Maybe it's an authoritative view or an abusive view, one that's mostly, that the relationship mostly involves uh, punishment or correcting problems. So we don't think of God, our Father God, as forgiving and loving and full of grace and mercy. We think of him as one that's just waiting for us to mess up. He's just watching us, waiting for us to do something that isn't right, and then we're going to be punished for it. And so it causes there to be shame, and anytime we fail, we feel like we're just not good enough. We fear the penalty from that. Or maybe it's passive. You know, physically present, but not involved. There's no emotional connection. There's no desire. There's no attempt to know you. There's no attempt to be a part of you. He's kind of lazy, kind of a slug. Causes us to think God is powerless not active today. And these aren't necessarily things that we are aware of. They're not necessarily things that we, that we can articulate where we're like, oh yes, my experience with human authority has been that they uh, are, are very authoritative. And so therefore, I think God just looks to punish me. We can't articulate it most of the time. Most of the time, it's a subconscious thing where we've had an experience and we don't know why, but we're projecting these things on God our Father. And we, we just can't figure out why is it that I view God differently. And I hear people say that, that God is loving. And I hear people say that God forgives. And I hear people say that God answers my prayers. But I just, it's so hard for me to believe it. Most of the time we can't trace it back. But oftentimes it's because we have taken our own experience from authority figures in our life. And we hear that God is authority. So therefore we project that onto him. And, we, and it's a tactic that the enemy uses to get our eyes focused off of the truth. He doesn't want us knowing who God really is. He doesn't want us living as sons and daughters. I think there's nothing that terrifies the enemy more than confident sons and daughters. So he's going to do whatever he can to get us to not believe it 
or to get us to not to, to, to see it twisted, to hear that God is our Father, and we twist it in our own mind and our own heart. We don't we don't believe it. We don't believe that God is loving. We don't believe that He's forgiving. He has affection for us, that he wants to show us those affections. We need to make sure that we are not imposing our negative view of authority on the perfect God. We need to repent for where we have. One of the things I've just, even in these last three weeks, just the importance of getting our mind right. A lot of times when we think wrong, when we don't know the truth, that impacts every piece of our life. And so we need to know God as Father. And we need to know what it means that He is a Father. And so, listen, we have many, many of us have different experiences with an earthly dad. Absent or not absent. Loving or not loving. But scripture doesn't give us license to say, I had a lame dad, therefore I can think God is lame. We don't have license to project our negativity on God. We can be, set, we can have, be free from that. And what we're called to do is know God as a loving Father. 1 John 3.1 See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Lavish, I mean, that's one of my favorite words. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. I love when John says that. I just love that he says, see what love he has lavished on us that we get to be called children of God. And you can just hear it. And he's like, and that's what we are, dang it. You know, like he's just like, get this through your head. We are children of God. We got to know it. We got to know it to our depths. We can't just say it and repeat it and, and we say it because, because that's what everybody else says or that's what I've heard for all my life and so I just assume maybe, but I don't really... No, 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 no. We are children of God and that is what we are. When we think of God, when you think of God, what do you mostly think of in relationship to Him? Do you mostly think of that somehow He let you off the hook for things? Do you mostly think that he is the one that you go to when you need stuff? And so you can go and ask for things and he'll give it to you, maybe? Do you mostly think he's the one that you're trying to perform for? You're trying to be good for so that you can get benefit from him? But when you think of God, do you mostly think that is a loving father who knows me, who loves me, who provides for me. He's given me his name. We need to know who God is. And Jesus, again, he, 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 in, throughout his whole ministry, he was revealing God as Father. And Matthew 7, he reveals, he's talking about he is a good Father that gives good gifts. Many of us think he's just kind of withholding things. No, 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 no. He's a good Father who wants to give good gifts. He's close to his people. Psalm 145, 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. I think of, of things that a father does. Father provides. Father, you know, we, we, that's where we get our name. We get our name 
We need to know that our identity is rooted in, the, in who our Father is. So Revelation 2, okay, Revelation 2 talks about uh, a day when we stand before the Lord and he gives us a stone. And on this stone, he has written a name for you that nobody else knows. Like etched it with a diamond-studded pen into the stone. Nobody else gets to know that name. God has a name for you that nobody else knows. That's pretty sweet. Like, that's, a, that's like a God that is speaking identity. I don't know what my, I, I can't wait to find out what my name is. You know, I'm like, dude, Jesus, what have you been calling me all this time? He's just speaking identity. We are sons and daughters. He gives you his name. Even, the, even us beginning to be people that said, listen, I'm a Christ follower. Therefore, I'm a Christian, a Christian. I'm, I want to live like a little Christ here on earth. We take his name. The old is gone, the new has come because I'm now relating to his family and who he is. And it's not, he doesn't look at me the same as I used to be. He sees me as son. He sees me as daughter. He sees me as the one that receives an inheritance. His inheritance. I get to partake in that. You get to partake in the inheritance of the creator God. We get to be a part of that. He provides for us. He looks out for us. He knows the needs of his children and he desires to give good gifts. Listen, I, 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 it's just so important that we really understand this God that loves us and that sees you, not just like he likes you, he does like you, but this, this, this love and this sonship, this adoption into his family. And that's how we get defined. That's who we are. So I said that tonight, I want to I talk about having confidence as being sons and daughters. I, I think that um, one of my, this is one of my great prayers for each of us here, that we would live with confidence in who we are. Knowing God is our Father, that we can live in confidence every day. So how does that work? How does that happen? Romans 8, go back to Romans Romans 8, 13. Or let's just go Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Again, I know we know this, but uh, m most of us have heard this before, but even that word Abba, that's the personal declaration of a child to their dad. That's not like a formal name. That's the personal relationship. That's the daddy. That's the, that's the as a child, what the child would call their, their dad. We've been adopted as sons. Adopted into his family. And because of that, you, do not, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. When I think of fear, what is the op opposite of fear? The opposite of fear, courage. The opposite of fear, when I look at, when, when I see someone living in fear, or the opposite of that, which is someone living with confidence, living not afraid, living not, not worried, not, not concerned about the future, but living with confidence. And I believe that God wants each one of us to live with confidence. Not in ourselves, obviously, our confidence is in Him. And that's the whole point. Even in here, Romans 8 goes on to say in verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? 
And that's the point. The point is that we know who our Father is. We know how much He loves us as a good Father. And if He's for us, who dare be against us? All right, I want to, I want to go through a story in the Old Testament. You guys are ready for the little OT here tonight? All right. If you want to flip back in your Bible to 2 Chronicles. That's right. Chronicles. The Chronicles. Never mind. 2 Chronicles 32. We're going to read the story. Verse 1 through 21 is the, it's, it's actually the abbreviation of the story. We can read uh, I, the identical story in 2 Kings 18 and 19 uh, and uh, Isaiah 36. Actually, I mean, 2 Kings 18 and 19 and Isaiah 36 are almost word for word the same. This here, uh, as we read this in, in Chronicles, this is the abbreviated story. Uh, but I'm going to even abbreviate it a little bit more. But uh, this is speaking uh, of Hezekiah. After all that Hezekiah had done so faithfully, or had so faithfully done, oh, yeah. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. He laid siege to the fortified cities, thinking to conquer them for himself. So here's the king of Assyria, of Assyria. his name's Sennacherib, really cool name. And uh, he had already taken out everywhere else in the land. All the cities surrounding Israel, he had come in, and, and he was, now he'd come upon Jerusalem. And he came up to the city, and he was, he was planning to overtake this city. So Hezekiah reacts, and he talks to, he talks to his counselors, and he, gets to, he, he, he builds the walls, and they're, they're getting ready for attack. And verse 7 be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because the king of Assyria has a vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. This is the idea of Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who can be against us? There is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of the flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people gained confidence. Hezekiah came to them and he said, don't put your trust in what's around us. Don't put your trust in, in, in what's coming at us. Don't put your trust in our walls. Don't fear the armies that are besieging us. Because we have a God that is on our side. He's defending us. It makes sense for them to be afraid. Uh, Assyria was an extremely cruel nation. Um, it's, it's believed that like, every city that they, they uh, would take over, they, they didn't keep people alive. They'd actually fillet them alive. They would fillet the people alive, uh, and they, they would make heaps with their skulls. Um, I mean, they, they, they tortured the cities that they took over. So if ever there was a time where you could not fight Assyria, you did not want to fight Assyria. So if there was any way of getting out of it, you would look for that possibility. And so Sennacherib comes, and he's talking trash to Hezekiah, and Hezekiah doesn't back down. He says, no, look. God is for us, and who can be against us? And the people gained confidence. Verse 9, later, when Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and all his forces were laying siege on somewhere, he sent his officers to Jerusalem with the message for Hezekiah, king of Judah, and for all the people of Judah who were there. I want you to listen to what he says to them. This is what Sennacherib, king of Assyria, says. On what are you basing your confidence? He asked them straight up, right from the beginning, what are you guys basing your confidence? He's kind of dumbfounded by it. He's like, look, at, listen, don't you know how many cities I've conquered? Don't you know what I've done? 
I, I thought I was going to just roll up here and tell you, hey, I'm here, and you were going to give up because you should. You're a tiny little city. What are you basing your confidence? That you, what are you basing your confidence that you remain in Jerusalem under siege? When Hezekiah says, the Lord our God will save us from the hand of the, of the king of Assyria, he's misleading you. To let you die of hunger and thirst. Did not Hezekiah himself remove this God high, in high places and altars, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before one altar and burn sacrifices on it. Even here, this is this king showing his uh, misunderstanding of the people. And that Hezekiah had gone out and destroyed the other altars to other gods and said, we will worship only before one God. And this king was, he, he, he equated them all the same. And he was like, didn't this guy already knock out all the places for your kings or for your gods? He didn't, he didn't understand who he was dealing with here. He says, do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples in other lands? Were the gods of those, na- were the gods of those nations ever able to deliver their land from my hand? Who of all the gods of these nations that my fathers destroyed has been able to save his people from me? How then can your God deliver you from my hand? Now do not let Hezekiah deceive you and mislead you like this. Do not believe him, for no God of any nation or kingdom has ever been able to deliver his people from my hand or the hands of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? This is a letter, this is like an open letter to the people. And uh, then his advisors come on, they keep talking trash too. The king also wrote, Just as the gods of the peoples of the other lands did not rescue their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not rescue his people from my hand. So he just, he continues to say, look, I've done this before. I've been here before. People say their gods are going to take care of them, and it doesn't happen. So I don't know what you're taking such confidence in that you believe that your God's going to deliver you. It's interesting, even as you read this, uh, if you ever go back and read in the other more extended stories, uh, so these guys are coming and they're shouting us out and Hezekiah's guys are, are up there with him and they, they actually look back at him and they're like, hey look, um, we understand Arabic can you speak this in Arabic, not Hebrew because our people can hear you and, and they're like, and, and we, we're, we're fine with talking trash with you but the, the watchmen on the walls can hear you because you're speaking Hebrew and you're causing the, like, we don't like that so let's just speak Arabic and, and they were like, no, 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 no we're going to speak in Hebrew because we want them to hear us we want to instill fear into those people. These guys were coming, and they didn't think they were just using all words. They thought they had everything to back it up. They had the armies. They were ready to come. They were ready to go at it. And so at first, they start offering things to the people. They offered them 2,000 horses. They basically said, if you give in to us, we will give you, we'll give you the ability to, to defend yourself. We'll give you, you, know, we'll give you things, and, and, and life will be better because we'll give you riches. And then they said, you know what? If you give in and just surrender now, you can move back with us and we'll give you land and you can grow food and we'll take care of you and, 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 and we'll provide for you. And when that didn't work, then they just said, look, don't you know what we do to people? We fillet them alive. We're going to do this to you. And isn't that so often the tactic of the enemy? He comes to you and he says, just give in a little bit. Just give in, and and your life will be so much better with all these material things. Just give in, and and, and if you give in, then then you'll you'll enjoy life so much better. And, and, you know, I don't really, what God said he would provide for you, he won't really, but, but I can. Jesus had to go through this moment. The enemy comes, and he tempts him with bread, and he tempts him with power. 
He tempts him with things. The enemy's going to come and attempt to sway us from standing in confidence that we have in God. He wants to attack every piece of confidence that you have in who God is. And if he can't, if he can't do that, then he's going to try to get you to cower in fear, to pull back and to live as a fearful people. And that's what these armies were, were trying to do. They were trying to get them to live as a fearful people. Verse 18, then they called out in Hebrew to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to terrify them and to make them afraid. To terrify them and to make them afraid. Listen, the enemy doesn't want you living in confidence. He wants you living in fear. And so he wants to yell things at you that will make you afraid. He wants to yell at you about who you, have, who you were. He wants to yell at you things you've done. He wants to yell at you of all the lies that other people have spoken over you. He wants to remind you of those things. He wants to convince you that you won't be successful. He wants to pull up every insecurity you have and tell it to you over and over again. And if your confidence is in yourself, you'll believe it. If your confidence is in who you are and how good you've been, and how godly you've been, or how righteous you've been, if your confidence is in how strong you are, or how smart you are, you'll find a weakness, and he'll tell you a lie. It's a twisted truth that you begin to believe that will cause you to live in fear, that will cause you to not live in confidence. Hezekiah, he, he went to Isaiah, and he went to the prophets, and said, what should we do? And Isaiah responded, saying, look, our confidence is in the Lord. And he gave this prophetic word, and it's not in this part, it's in, it's in Isaiah 36. It gives this prophetic word that says, look, this king will not overtake the land. But not only that, he will run back to his land and be killed there. That's a pretty specific prophetic word. Like, that's, that's like kind of, like when you get one of those, you're like, really? Did you test that? I mean, you know, like, is that just what you want to happen? But, so let's, when we look at what happened, King Hezekiah won't back down. He won't give in. In verse 20, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, cried out in prayer to heaven about this. They cried out to the Lord, and this is so fun. Verse 21, and the Lord sent an angel who annihilated all the fighting men and the leaders and officers of the camp of the Syrian king. I just love that word, annihilated. Like, it wasn't even a, a good fight. Like, the, actually, the people of Jerusalem, they... They get no chance to take any credit. Like, they get no chance because they didn't even get to go fight and they won, but they said, oh, but God really did it. They were asleep. And while they were sleeping, God annihilated the armies that were attacking them. Do you know why? Because they had confidence in him and they went to him in prayer, not to themselves. They went to him and said, God, you are for us. Our confidence is in you not for us. You have in store good things for us. You are, love us, and so we trust in you. They didn't put them, their confidence in themselves. They put their confidence in the Lord. And I just, it says that, they, that the Lord annihilated all the armies. So then what happened is the next day the king got up, saw all his armies dead and annihilated, and he was like, ah! ran back to his hometown where his sons killed him. Exactly like the prophecy said. He woke up and was like, ah! All my dudes are dead. I've talked a lot of trash. And I got no one to help me back it up. He runs home and his own people, his own family take him out. It's a crazy story. 
But it's a story about a people that put their confidence in God and found their confidence in God and an enemy that tried to instill fear. But the people stood on who they knew their God to be. Will we be people that trust the Lord to defend us? And look, we don't live in this kind of day. We don't live in a day where there's armies that are attacking us. But we live in a day where we are constantly bombarded with statements that try to cause us to fear. And the enemy will speak whatever language you will hear to get you to live in fear. We have to put our confidence in God. Know that he is a good father that loves us and will take care of us. When I was a little kid, so uh, my, my siblings, David, Dana, and Deborah, they're five and a half years older than me. So there was a time where they were a lot bigger than me. And I know, I know, even they were big to someone at some time. And, uh, and so, you know, like any siblings, we would, uh, we'd get in fights or we'd get in little arguments. And I distinctly remember my dad telling me, and he would, like, he would tell me, okay, Dan, here's the deal. If you start the fight, I will let them finish it. But if they start the fight, you come tell me and I'll finish it. Listen, what that did to me as a little kid. I was the youngest. I was the smallest. I was five, you know. But I just had confidence. All right, I'm not going to mess with them. But if they ever pick on me, I know who's got my back. And it's not about how strong I am, how old I am, how good I am. My dad has my back. When we know that we have a good father who loves us and he says to us, listen, when the enemy comes and he attacks you and he lies to you and he tries to make you live in fear, come to me, put your confidence in me, and if I am for you, who dare be against you? That's the God that we have and we have to know it. And if we live with confidence in him, not in ourselves, But we know who he is as our father. We know that he wants to take care of us. He wants to defend us. He loves us. He has good gifts for us. It causes us to live with confidence. Psalm 71, 5. For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. Jeremiah 17, 7. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. We see throughout scripture the idea of putting our confidence in God, not in ourselves. It's not just in a God who is more powerful. It's not just that he is smarter. It's not just that he is almighty. It's that he is all-powerful, all-knowing, and almighty. And he loves me like a son, because I am his son. He is all-powerful. He is almighty. And I'm his son. We can live with confidence in knowing that going forward when people oftentimes when you see people that are ruled by fear then the primary thing that that cripples them is this ability or this this attempt to please people because there's this fear of I'm not good enough and I'm not doing things right so it's this fear of man instead of fear of the Lord so we attempt to please people we attempt to, to do things so other people accept us and say that we're okay and say that we're good if we're doing that, then we're prone to be manipulated and controlled by other people. But we don't have to be controlled by other people. Because what we talked about last week, we can be controlled by the Holy Spirit. If we give everything to the Lord.
you fight my battles for me. I'll go take a nap. You'll take out the enemy. I don't have to strive on my own. I don't have to try and do it on my own. I trust in you. When we feel, when we have confidence, it's this idea that we feel safe because of who God is, who our Father is. When you feel safe, then you begin to live in freedom. And and actually what happens is if you begin to live uh, with confidence because you feel safe, because you know who your Father is, then you actually have freedom to fail. You begin to live with freedom that I can try things. I don't have to try to walk on eggshells. I don't have to try to be perfect. I can actually attempt things that I think are are outside my reach because I know who my God is and I'm okay with that. I'm okay that I know that if I fail, He is my success. So we're not afraid that we're we're, we're not going to do well enough. We're not afraid that I'm going to stand before people and not know what to say. We're not afraid that if someone comes and asks me about Jesus that I won't have the words to articulate to them. We're, We're not afraid of writing the book that we felt like we were supposed to write. We're not afraid of writing the song that we feel like God's put in our heart. Because look, who cares? You write a song, and, and if you write a song and it fails, who cares? I'll bet you I know one person that loves it. You ever see the pictures that kids draw for their dads and their dads put them up on the office wall? That is not art. That is not good according to man's standards, but it is good according to a father's standards. And so when we know that what I do, when I know who my father is, it is good according to his standards. I may fail, but I'm going to attempt it because I got confidence. I'm not afraid of failure. I don't even know what that is. We begin to live in freedom. We know we're loved. We know who has our back. I, I remember even, so my dad was a pastor. And, uh, and so I, I'll tell you what, man, that little church in Oklahoma was like my playground. Because my dad, my dad was the pastor. I thought I could do anything. So I found every tunnel possible. I crawled on the roof. I rappelled off the roof. I broke into that place. I just did whatever I wanted to do. Because I was like, I can do this. It's like my dad's house, right? And I, you know. How many people have have dads that are pastors? You know this. You're like, listen, churches, they got secret tunnels. And they got ways to get to a roof. And you can break, I mean, not all churches, not this one for sure. But you know, like. I remember I, mean, I was a kid, and when I was, when I was in uh, early high school, I began to get excited about the Lord, and, and there was just this desire to worship Him, and I loved going to, uh, to worship meetings, and we would dance like crazy, and then I'd go to my church on Sunday mornings, and that was a good old Nazarene church where there wasn't much dancing going on, and uh, I, was, I, I was, so we used to have these things uh, called projectors, and, uh, and we had transparencies on them. And so I ran the transparency machine. So I was on stage, and like, you know, you'd move the paper. You always did it wrong, because you'd try to push it down, but then it'd go up or whatever, you know, and you move it left, and it'd go right, and you're like, what is wrong? You know, that was my job. And, uh, and so I'm at this nice little Nazarene church, and a lot of old people that don't dance and worship, and I'm literally on stage with my back to everybody, and I'm just dancing like crazy in worship, and it's shaking the whole projector. No one can read the words. Because I'm dancing on the stage, shaking the projector. And guess what? I knew I could. You know why? My dad's the pastor. I know I can do this. When you know who your father is, it gives you this freedom. It it causes us to respond in in a freedom. And it doesn't mean that we can do whatever we want. Listen, I got in my fair share of trouble for doing things like breaking in and jumping off the roof. But it means that we can have confidence that, look, my dad, he loves me. My father, he loves me. 
my dad, when he corrected me, he corrected me in love. God doesn't, it's not that he loves us so he doesn't correct us, right? Hebrews says that he loves his children and he disciplines those he loves. There will be moments where we get corrected, where we get disciplined. It doesn't mean we can do whatever we want. It just means that we are his sons and his daughters and we can live in confidence and freedom because of that. We don't have to worry about what other people think of us. We don't have to worry about performing. We don't have to worry about how we'll be seen if we live in confidence of who he is. So what do we have confidence for? We have confidence that we're forgiven, 1 John 4, 17. We have confidence that we can approach the throne, Hebrews 4. We don't have to be bound by fear. We don't have to be defeated by sin. I just, let me just, I just want to read this. 1 John 3, verse 18. Dear children, let us not love with word or tongue, but with actions and the truth. And this, this is how we know we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him everything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. We can have confidence before him because we know what Jesus has done on the cross. We know that we are now sons and daughters. We can have confidence that what we ask for, we can have because he is our father who wants to give good gifts and we are living out of that because we know him as father, out of that, it starts off by saying, let us not love with word, but with actions with everything we have. And if we're doing that, our hearts cannot condemn us because Jesus says that you're forgiven. Jesus says you're redeemed. We can live with him in freedom and confidence as sons and daughters. I believe this is one of the most important things. I want to see you live in confidence. I want you to live here in this place with confidence, not fear. Confidence. Even what I said earlier, look, this is a safe place. This is a great place to attempt things to fail. And that's every day when we know that we have a God that loves us. We can, we can step out in faith. We can pray for the sick. And you know what? When we don't see them healed, it doesn't ruin our faith. We can say, all right, look, I tried it. We can say, hey, look, I think the Lord gave me a word for you. And we tell him, does that resonate? Dude, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, sorry. You know, I mean, we've all had those moments. But look, who cares what they think? We're trying, we're attempting, and we know that we have a God that loves us. And, 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 and you know, we've used this picture before, but no father looks at their child who is, you know, at that, they, 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 you know, like parents freak out over like every little thing that a baby does, right? I mean, like I got, I mean, Caleb has a newborn, right? Caleb and Rachel, Stephanie and Candace have a newborn. I'm just, it's so funny the things that they're so excited about, you know, like, oh, the baby turned their head today. I'm like, sweet, that's awesome, yeah. You know, I don't understand. The, the baby slept for two minutes, that's awesome. You know, like they slept for three hours. Like, wow. You know, 
parents get so excited, right? And then, they, then the babies start crawling. And they're like taking a little, little crawl, you know, scooting around. You know, it starts when they roll over and parents, oh, my, they rolled over. And they start crawling. And then they start, you know, walking with them, holding their hands. And then one day the parents let go. And the kid takes a step. And then that massive head causes them to fall to the ground. And you know what parents do? What are you doing? How come can't you walk already? No! No parent does that. They're like, oh! You took half a step before your giant head made you fall! I'm so proud of you! Look, you have a God that is so proud of every half step you take. Every half step you take towards him, he loves it. Right? James 4, 8, draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. Every moment, every half step that you take towards him, he is ecstatic about it. So some of you are like, man, I don't know that I've, this year I, I haven't grown as much as I thought I was going to grow. Look, if you've grown at all, Jesus is so excited. If you have any peace in your heart that says, oh, God, I want you more today than I did yesterday. Not much, but a little bit. He's like, oh, I love that. You're doing so well. Don't stop. Don't quit. Keep coming after me. Keep coming after me. He rejoices over you. And if we know that, then it gives us the confidence to take another wobbly step. It gives us the confidence to try again. One day you'll be walking. Now look, if an 18-year-old still can't walk, then there's some issues there. We need to progress. Brandon talked about this last semester. We need to mature in our relationship, and there is growth and discipline. But every step of the way, he loves the heart cry that says, I'm coming after you. Go ahead and stand with me. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did. Because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. They've got a vision and a mission for their life.